Let us decide who has been best at producing wide receivers between LSU and Ohio State. Let us also ask, what are the pressing questions for Big 12 coaches and players ahead of Big 12 media days? Let's go. It's the number one college football show. What's up, kids, folks? It's RJ Young. I am not on a step mill. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcasts. Today on the show, we got to talk through the most pressing questions for the Big 12 Media Days as we, well, are looking at a 14-team conference for the first and only year in conference history. And we're going to settle a dispute. Did Ohio State produce more, better wide receivers than LSU? Very interesting. I actually put a lot of work into that one, probably too much so. But let's talk about these questions that, well, frankly, I have going into Big 12 Media Days, which is just next week, man. All right. First question is, who brings a quarterback? Like, I've always thought that the programs across all of our 131 FBS teams that bring a quarterback to Media Days feel real good about their chances going into the season. Because A, you know who the guy is. B, we know who the guy is. And C, yeah, you want that guy to get some shine because you're trying to pimp him for Heisman you know, votes. You're trying to get him as much media exposure as you can. You're trying to make sure that the television producers know who this man is if they are on national television. All of that noise. But I will be curious to see who passed Dylan Gabriel, Quinn Ewers, is invited to Big 12 Media Days, or I should say, gets taken to Big 12 media days. I think Tyler Shuck is also a guy out of Texas Tech that we should be watching for, but it's really for me about Oklahoma and Texas, right? And we're going to get into a bit of that, but if Dylan Gabriel and Quinn Ewers are two of your top quarterbacks and you look around the country, it's not necessarily indicative of even the top 10 quarterbacks in the sport to last year who feels like they got a guy. All right, do the coaches believe the conference is as thick from top to bottom as I do? I think that anybody in the Big 12 could win the Big 12 championship. That includes West Virginia, who might be, you know, the worst team in the Big 12 this year, but they're not terrible. They're just bad. Kansas returns Jalen Daniel, probably be at Big 12 media days. They'll be good. Devin Neal was their best player at tailback. They'll be good, right? I'm looking at other programs like Oklahoma, who had its first losing season of the 21st century last year and went into the transfer portal to correct such a thing, right? I'm looking at Kansas State, who came out of nowhere, or seemingly so, to win the Big 12 championship against a team that ended up playing in the national championship in Texas Christian. Texas Christian finished national title runner-up in 2022. Again, after going 5-7 and seven in 2021, nobody saw that coming. Finally, or I should not say finally, the bigger question of the three before we get to the next three. Do BYU, Central Florida, Cincinnati, and Houston feel like they can walk in, beat Texas and Oklahoma, and win the league? I will be curious to see or hear what Gus Malzahn says about that, what Dana Holgerson says about that, what Kalani Sataki says about that. I'm going to be very, very curious to see if BYU finally playing a real Power 5 schedule can hold up because Provo is not close to Orlando. For that matter, Orlando 
is not close to Provo. West Virginia got to go to both spots, right? Or at one point, we would think they would have to go to both spots. At least we're not in football. I got to go check out the schedule to be right about that. But you get my point here. It is truly a cross-country conference for the first and probably next several years, given what conference realignment has done. But Houston has been a good football program with Dana Hogerson. Central Florida has demonstrated it is a good football program through Gus Malzahn, through Josh Heupel, and even through Scott Frost, right, going back to 2017. Cincinnati played in the college football playoff two years ago. These are good football programs who are probably going to show up and think that, well, if Texas Christian can make the college football playoff in this conference, why can't we? And they would be right to think so. Because Texas Christian was one of these programs a few years ago. We're talking about Texas Christian, Andy Dalton, and Gary Patterson showing up to the Rose Bowl to prove to everybody that they're for real playing in the Mountain West. And now you basically got those sorts of teams joining this conference like Texas Christian did, and they could have the same kind of success. I'm very excited about Texas having to travel to Houston to play against that Houston program because historically Texas has thumbed its nose at the University of Houston. And historically, Houston has really enjoyed it when they've been able to beat up on Texas, but they haven't played that game in over 20 years. Matter of fact, the last time that Houston and Texas played each other, Art Bryles was head coach at Houston. I'm very curious to see if they can get past Texas, if they can get past Oklahoma, who do you think could beat them? And then which of these Texas programs is going to assume authority once Texas is leaving, which leads me to that next question of what's the mood when we talk about Oklahoma and Texas one last time, okay? Chilly is what I got. It's going to be 100 degrees in Dallas, Texas in July, but it's going to be chilly when we talk about Oklahoma and Texas. Last year, Mike Gundy sat at the days and questioned why the hell are we even letting them talk? Why are they here? That, that, that's peak Mike Gundy, right? He's probably the only coach in the Big 12 that would do such a thing. But I think that was also the feeling. Why would you let them in on your negotiations? Why would you treat them as a regular partner? And they haven't because you take a look at the schedule for Oklahoma and Texas. Big 12 is saying, don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. They are absolutely up against it. And I think nothing would please Oklahoma fans more or Texas fans more than being able to run this table win that Big 12 title, and then play in the college football playoff on their way out. They also need the lift going into, a, frankly, a conference that's better. It's just better. Oklahoma and Texas need to get on the good foot, like USC and UCLA over there in Pac-12, so that they feel good going into a much tougher league. All right. Were the coaches and players surprised that Texas Christian made the college football playoff after losing to Kansas State in the Big 12 championship? I'm actually... Honestly, really, really curious about that because ordinarily, Oklahoma in that spot, sure, we give them the benefit of the doubt, and they have, and then they get their head kicked in. Nobody wanted to see that happen again. That's why there was so much talk about, no, if Oklahoma wins the Big 12 again and they don't do it with an undefeated season, we're not going to select them because we've been burned by them. They don't show up. The last time they did, double overtime in Pasadena. Every other time getting our heads handed to us, all right? So for Texas Christian to lose that game to Kansas State, Kansas State to be the Big 12 champs, but still earn selection to the college football playoff, I found really, really interesting. And do you feel that that is an indication that 
the college football playoff selection committee respects the Big 12? Or do you think that's an indication that they just respected the story that was Texas Christian? I mean, there was nothing about Texas Christian that said dominant. Nothing. They won a bunch of football games. But they also need to come back in a bunch of football games. They need to run a fire drill against Baylor to keep their record intact just to make that Big 12 championship game. And then nobody expected them to put up the fight they did against Michigan, let alone win 51-45. And then they came back down to earth against a juggernaut, Voltron, over there in Athens, Georgia, in the University of Georgia, right? The better game was actually Georgia versus Ohio State, which was a missed field goal away. But you get my point here. What do they think it means that Texas Christian represented them last year, not just in that playoff, but in the national championship game? And does Texas Christian feel like this is our conference now? Why wouldn't they is a good question. I would say being a private Christian school in North Texas, better watch stealth. That's all. Southern Methodists thought that they was kings for a little bit. A&M got real mad about it, started throwing oil money and vanilla envelopes at most other players. And, you know, they had something to say about them in the Southwest Conference. Texas is always going to be Texas. Texas made more money than everybody but one program in 2022. And they can't win the Big 12 championship. Now, I'm going to go off on this for just a second because I need this to be clear. You're going to tell me that, hey, that money is made and or spread across all athletic programs. I'm going to say, yeah. But which one of those is the most important athletic program at any university? We don't look to other sports to carry the mantle of our university. We look to the football program. We play football in the United States of America. That's what we do. In Canada, they play hockey. In England, they play soccer. Here we play football. So I don't want to hear no talk, no more, about Texas not being great. You make the most money. You get the best players. You run roughshod over people in the offseason because you do have so much. At least give do us the service of being good. Eight and five is not good. Beat 10 wins, 11 wins every damn year. All right. Finally, which program projects as the one to assume control? I answered that question just a little bit. Texas Christian projects, but I, I can't call it, man. You go 5-7 in 2021, you play in the national championship game, you finish national title runner-up, it's all out the window. It's another reason why I, I continue to say this, and, I, and I, I'm going to say it. Why is it if I say Colorado and Deion Sanders are going to be good, y'all catch an attitude? But when Texas Christian goes from five and seven to national title runner up with a new head coach, the second best quarterback on campus, and running a fire drill against Baylor, you don't catch an attitude to. Question yourselves. I know the answer to this. Question yourselves. But if it ain't Texas Christian, it could be Iowa State. It could be Baylor. It could be Texas Tech. Hell, they want it. They're throwing all they can behind Joey McGuire down there. It could be Oklahoma State. It could be Oklahoma State. It could be Oklahoma. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't say it with a straight face. Kansas is going to be good, and Kansas State's going to be Kansas State. All right? Like, it, it, you could see anybody taking control of this conference, and that's before I get to the newbies, right? Houston's going to be able to recruit. Central Florida has demonstrated it's going to be here. BYU has demonstrated they're good, right? 
Cincinnati's demonstrated they're good. Like, it's going to be fun. I don't know that we're going to see who's assuming control of this conference for at least five to seven years. And even then, we could have seven different conference champions because that's how thick they are, even with Oklahoma and Texas leaving the conference. All right. Now, let us do the first installment of our versus series. This is an idea that our social maven, JV on Donkey, come up, came up with years ago that we use on the Twitters, on the Instagrams, on the Facebooks, on the TikToks to get your thoughts on which do you think is more or better, right? So this one actually came out of a USFL player interview that I performed with former Ohio State wide receiver Johnny Dixon, who also played on the New Orleans Breakers this year and last. And he had basically said, who wouldn't want to play for Brian Hartline as I was talking to him about just what the reputation of playing wide receiver at Ohio State has transitioned to in the last decade. So when we put that bit of uh, bit out on social, y'all responded with, did y'all just forget that LSU exists? Oh, wait, wait, wait. Do you know that LSU has been really great at producing wide receivers? To which, fine, I will take you up on that. Let's find out. Since you want to know who has been better at producing wide receivers, LSU or Ohio State, I have come up with a way to identify a winner here. And I'm going to say this, and I need you to hear me. This is not a wide receiver you segment. Okay? This is not WRU. This is LSU versus the Ohio State. Okay. Now that we have that said, you should know the formula for which I use to identify which one of these programs has been best at producing wide receivers. So the NFL draft gets the heaviest weight in any of these metrics because that is why most players in college football are playing college football. So they can get to the NFL and they can get to the NFL at the earliest possible moment. And frankly, if we're being real cute about it, the guy drafted first got into the NFL before the guy drafted last in the same draft. That's just how it works. So that's one way. The other way is, did you have a bunch of first-round draft picks? The other way is, did you have guys that were drafted? And the other way is, did you win a positional award? The, in this case, it would be the Bolitnikoff Award. So this means that you don't get as much credit for Michael Thomas being drafted in the first round as you, or, or in second round, excuse me, as you do for Odell Beckham Jr. getting drafted in the first. But you do get credit for Michael Thomas being an all-pro, which, again, I have given points for. You do get credit for being an all-pro and winning these awards, okay? And the point system is fairly simple. But this is mostly so I can talk about Michael Thomas probably being worth more in the Ohio State calculus who even if he was drafted second round because he's an all-pro, this is because Anthony Gonzalez was drafted in the first round in 2007. Not only was he not an all-pro, but he had enough time to play in the NFL and then run for Congress, win his seat as the representative for the 16th District of Ohio, serve his term, and be out the door in January of this year. You might say a lot has happened in the past 15 years. That's also the thing that you need to take into account. I don't take this back farther than 15 years. The game changes. The decades are different. The coaches are different. The styles of play are different. I can tell you that Ohio State defensive lineman, Big Bill Bell, 
He's one of the best defensive linemen Ohio State has ever produced and one of the most significant figures that they've ever produced. He went down to FAMU after leaving Ohio State and helped build a program. But if you put Big Bill Bell up against Chase Young, Chase Young's probably going to tear him in half. Okay? So we don't go past 15 years when we're talking about these things. All right. Knowing all of that, let's take a look at what the NFL has thought about Ohio State and LSU. But I'm going to be clear about the point system here, and you can follow along. Pause the tape if you need to. You get one point for each round for which you had a player drafted from second to seventh. After the first round, it doesn't much matter to me. It doesn't much matter to you, frankly, because we don't, we don't count second-round draft picks. We count first-round draft picks. Okay, You get 15 points for a first-round draft pick. You get 18 points for an all-pro selection. You get 25 points for a Bolitnikoff Award winner. The reason that you get 25 for a Bolitnikoff Award is because you could have more than one all-pro player from your university on the same team. You can only have one Bolitnikoff Award winner from anywhere in any year. That's why the extra seven points are there. Okay, so if we're taking a look at this, I went back to 2000, right? I took it past 15 years to 20, just to be fair. Okay, 2004, Drew Carter came out fifth round. Michael Jenkins came out in the fourth. This is Ohio State. 06, Antonio Holmes, you'll know, went in the first. In 07, Roy Hall went in the fifth, but Ted Ginn Jr. and Anthony Gonzalez went in 2007 in the first, right? In 09, Brian Hartline, who's a wide receiver coach now, it's been that long, went in the fourth. Brian Robisky went in the second. In 12, Devere Posey went in the third. In 15, Evan Spencer went in the sixth, and Devin Smith went in the second. In 16, Braxton Miller went in the third, and Michael Thomas went in the second. 17, Noah Brown went in the seventh. Curtis Samuel went in the second. 19, Terry McLaurin went in the third. Paris Campbell went in the second. In 20, K.J. Hill went in the seventh, and then in 22, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave both went in the first, and then in 23, Jackson Smith and Jigma went in the first. So I did the math so you don't have to. Ohio Ohio State had six first-round draft picks, including Holmes, Ginn, Gonzalez, Wilson, Olave, and JSN. Okay? 15 points times six, 90 points. They also had 21 total players drafted, but 15 of those were drafted in the second or later. So that's 15 points. Of this group, only Michael Thomas is an all-pro. Only Michael Thomas, 18 points, okay? Of this group, no one won a Bolitnikoff Award. As a matter of fact, you got to take it back to 1995 for Bolitnikoff Award winner from Ohio State, Terry Glenn. Okay, so the total, according to the ruling, is 123 points from Ohio State. Can LSU do better than 123? Well, let's find out. In 2003, Josh Reed went in the second round. In 04, Michael Clayton went in the first. Devery Henson, uh, Henderson excuse me, went in the second. In 06, Benny Brazell went in the seventh. And Skylar Green went in the fourth. In 07, I forgot about this, man. Craig Davis and Dwayne Bowe went in the first. In 08, Early Doucette went in the third. He was a monster. In 09, Demetrius Bird went in the seventh. He is a monster. In 10, Trenton Holiday went in the sixth. Brandon LaFell went in the third. Quickly, Trenton Holiday broke my heart because that man was going to run on the Olympic team. And I kid you not, he chose not to go to the Olympics so he could return kicks at LSU. I ain't never been so mad. I, I, I ain't never been. 
Short King could have been out there winning us a gold medal, and he won a return kicks. And what's he do? He gets drafted in the sixth. In 2012, Ruben Randall went in the second. In 2014, James Wright went in the seventh. Jarvis Landry went in the second. Odell Beckham Jr. went in the first. In 17, Malachi Dupree went in the seventh. In 18, Russell Gage went in the sixth. DJ Chark went in the second. In 20, of course, Justin Jefferson went in the first over Oklahoma's dead body in the college football playoff at the Peach Bowl. Didn't nobody know nothing about no Justin Jefferson until he decided to take Justin Burles' head off. And now Justin Jefferson is one of the two best wide receivers in the NFL. Go figure. In 2021, Racing McMath went in the sixth. Terrace Marshall went in the sixth. And Jamar Chase went in the first. And then this year, Kayshawn Butte went in the sixth. So LSU had six drafted in the first. Clayton, Davis, Bo, Odell, Jefferson, Jamar, 90 points, same as Ohio State. But they had 22 players drafted, and 16 of them were drafted in the second or later. So that's 16 points, one more than Ohio State. Of this group, there's only one all pro. Odell, Odell, hello, Justin Jefferson, he's the only all pro. Only one, same as, uh, as Ohio State, one all pro. However, and this is the big one. There have not just been one, but two Blitnikoff Award winners at LSU in the past 20 years. Josh Reed in 01 and Jamar Chase in 2019. That's 50 points. So LSU totaled up to 174 points to 123 for Ohio State because they produced two Blitnikoff Award winners and one more draft pick than Ohio State. That's the difference. One more draft pick and two Bolitnikoff Award winners to zero. I know the scoreboard is not going to show that to be very close, but I just showed you why it was. One more first round, or excuse me, one more pick, not first round, one more pick, and two Bolitnikoff Award winners. And remember, you can only have one Bolitnikoff Award winner each and every year from anywhere. And that has to be taken into account. All right, so LSU is better at producing wide receivers than Ohio State. And for the last time, this is not a wide receiver U segment. It's LSU versus Ohio State. Okay. That is going to do it for this episode of the number one college football show. My thanks as always to our lead producer, Tyler Wojak. Our senior producer is Captain Donnelly. Our director is Kyle Holly. That is Gabe Sable on the switches. Our social media maven is Javion Duncan. Our leads of screening are... Jack Coakley, excuse me, and Torrin Westfall. And our production assistant is Kiara Santana. That is it for me. I'm RJ, the host. Deuces.